a surreal moment. Um, I got I got saved under this pulpit. <sighs> Where this pulpit used to sit in that auditorium, I was maybe sitting right around there on a Sunday night when the preacher was preaching through Revelation when I received Christ. And I fell in love with him. Like she talked about. And to sit here and or stand here and preach from this pulpit, it's so so weird. I said, what God does with your life when you surrender. I mean, I could never imagine it. But anyway, <laughs> if you're here, raise your hand. Okay, good. All right, that's good. And I know you're all thinking the same thing probably right now. What is Code Blaze doing up there? Uh, and I am thinking the same thing, but First, I want to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Code Blaze, if you don't know, and I am the pastor at Downtown Baptist Temple, um, located in Ocala, Florida. We're a church plant um, now. We're, we're actually a first, officially a church for the last two years. But I grew up in here. I grew up in Kansas City. I graduated from Raytown South in 2005. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, very. I don't know if it's a lot to, yeah. Did a couple of years in the community colleges around here, and uh, I married my bride, and a couple months later, God asked me to move to Ocala, Florida, and, and literally, God did lead us to that, to that place. I want to introduce the team that God has given me, so go ahead and hit that slide. There you go. All right. It's my wife there, and her name's Anna. I don't need to look at my notes for this. Uh, I was like, wait, what's her name? No. She's the definition of a help me. Oh, goodness. Uh, she's been a blessing. One day, I'll, I'll, I'll share it. Man, I love to tell the story of how we got together. So one day, please ask me. Um, she is my only girlfriend. She's the only woman I've ever kissed. Um, I love her. And uh, there's Hosanna down there in the star kind of gray dress. She, she received Christ this past year. What a, what a blessing. Yeah, that's Selah in the middle, and that's my little man, Wilder, there on the left, and I am blessed. I am blessed. I also want to take a moment and introduce part of our body that made the trip up here. So if you're from DBT, will you please stand and at least be nice and smile and wave? There you go. Say hi. Now, again, like I said, this is a special evening for me to be behind this pulpit because, man, it's the one I got saved under. But I praise God that there are still men that hold this book and preach the truth from this pulpit today. But again, if I told you, if you told me I would be here tonight or at the age of 29, God would call me to plant a church, I wouldn't have believed you. I mean, growing up, I was a shy kid. I didn't like speaking in groups. I preferred to be behind the scenes. I would serve wherever someone would ask me, but to stand up in front of the smallest of groups, uh, I would get nervous, sick to my stomach, and my hands would get sweaty. Now I'm 31, a young man. I still get nervous, sick to my stomach, and my hands, well, <laughs> don't shake them later. But really, I'm nobody special here tonight. 
All I have to offer you tonight is the book. And I want to believe that is what you came to hear. All I've done is I made a commitment to God. Right over here. I surrendered my life to him when I was 12 years old. And from then on, God has literally asked me to prove that commitment time and time again. And he continues to put me in such situations I just I can never imagine, including tonight. I can never imagine the path that God has taken me on, and all for his glory. The verses we'll be looking at tonight will be familiar to most of you. Or if you are new to the Bible and following Christ, they will become familiar to you. These verses you've heard from the pulpit, you may have them memorized. You will or may have used these verses in counseling and discipleship or in your prayers. You may even hear these verses used this week as we hear testimonies of what God is doing in other parts of our country and world. But let me warn you, these verses cannot be just familiar, but they must become reality. These verses must be part of your core as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. If you ever want to be in position for God to use you to be part of a church plant, or quite frankly, to be part of any work for the Lord and make an impact for Christ, these verses cannot be just familiar to you. They must be reality. Now, when I read these two verses, because you're familiar with them, you're going to say in your heart, duh, code, I got that. But listen, it's one thing to say you got it. It's another thing to demonstrate you got it. You will learn or have learned that even though these are familiar verses, and even though they may be easy to quote, they are difficult at times to obey. So there's a big difference in saying you trust and demonstrating you trust. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, 5 through 6. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. The Word of God says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Let's pray. Father, I need you tonight. I need you to speak to me. Lord, even though I've wrestled over this for a couple weeks, Lord, I want to hear it fresh too. And, but Lord, I feel as the heart of a church planner, but really a heart of a disciple. We need to not only know these verses, but they must become a reality where everything we see around here and every work you're doing in all the churches represented here will perish, will fail. So Lord, I pray that tonight we would make a commitment if we haven't already to trust you. And those that may have made a commitment to you would, would realize and look back that I need to trust you again. As we enter in, man, the next year, this year would be a year that we just trust you and see you direct us. Oh, Lord, help us to hear. Let us have ears to do that. And I love you. Your name. Amen. So let me start with this very common story. You may have heard it before, but Charles the Great Blondin was a world-renowned tightrope walker. 
He would travel a tightrope that would stretch 1,100 feet in length and about 160 feet above the Niagara Falls. He once crossed this tightrope on stilts. He once did it blindfold, once pushing a wheelbarrow. One time he stopped, I don't know why he did this, midway and cooked and made an omelet. I guess he just wanted to prove a point. But one day he turned to the crowd that had come to, sh to see this, man, death-defying feat. He turned to the crowd and he said, do you believe I can take this wheelbarrow across the wire? The crowd, of course, cheered and said, we believe, yeah. Then he said, do you, do you believe that I can take a person across in this wheelbarrow? And the, man, the crowd's in it, yeah, we believe. You know, they're getting into this. He turned to the crowd and he asked them, okay, who will get in? Who volunteers? It was dead silent. And as he scanned the audience, there were no volunteers. Some accounts say an old woman raised her hand. It was, it was her, his own mother who then got in the barrel and went across the wire and back. Another account said it was his manager. And for whatever reason, the wheelbarrow thing didn't work out, but he got on his back and went across the wire and come back to the other side. But I, I say that because, and you know, are we, okay, yeah, slide one more. There's a big difference in saying you trust and demonstrating you trust. Man, all of them say, yeah, we believe. They, but they weren't willing to demonstrate it. In Proverbs chapter three and verse six, we see the end result. It says, he shall direct thy paths. But to get to that result, you just can't say you trust God. It must be demonstrated. I have in no way knowing what the future may hold for you all here. I would like to think that everyone here wants God to direct their paths. I know that may not be a reality, but I would like to think if you came to this conference, you want God to direct you. But it becomes a reality to a church planner. Every step, every path has to be directed by him. Because I learned as when I went through a study in Ezra, if God directs it, no man can stop it. But if a man directs it, no man can keep it going. But you may not be a church planner or even become one, but if these verses would become a reality in your life, if you would apply these verses, only God knows what he'll do with you. Now we know, right? Trust is fundamental in any relationship. And it's fundamental in your relationship with God. If we want God to direct our paths, we must be willing to trust him, even when we do not understand how the things will work out. Often we want to make perfect sense, don't we? Often we want to know every step of the plan. Instead, God wants us just to trust him rather than what our understanding is capable of. Now, I'm a simple guy. This is going to be a very simple message uh, that's just easier for me, okay? But just a simple definition of trust is to be confident or to be sure. God wants us to be confident in him, to be sure in him. 
But there are some conditions to our trusting in him revealed in these verses, and I want you to take, take you through them. Number one, you must trust the Lord entirely. We see that in Proverbs chapter three, verse five, it says, with all thine heart, with no part left out, it's childlike, nothing wavering. How many of you, okay, may, may not all of you, but my dad would sometimes throw us in a wheelbarrow, and man, we'd have the time of our life as he just would wheel us around. Complete trust until he dumped us, you know? But we would just, man, we'd be like, ah, you know? We'd be totally, we're unwavering in our trust in him as he would push us around. Or maybe a dolly, you ever ridden on a dolly? You know, it's a, it's a blast because of our trust, but it was entire, it was with all our heart. Psalms 28, seven says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. What greater confidence can we have than in our Lord? Job 13, 15 says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. As you study trust, you see that you must put your trust in him. It's a powerful three-letter word, put. It means to set, or lay, or to apply. That means we got to set our trust in the Lord. We see verses like Psalms 4 and 5. It says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Psalm 9.10 says, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Psalm 17, 7 says, Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee. What I'm getting at it, it's a deliberate, conscious decision to trust the Lord. You will have doubts, you will have fears, you will have people that say different, You'll, your flesh will scream no, but you must decide. It becomes a reality in church planning where your trust really lies because when you're in a living room and there's 10 people there and four or five of them is your own family. And my wife had one rule and that was uh, no shoes in the house. So for the first six months, I preached with no shoes on. But it, you're sitting there and you're like, five people show up and you're like, guys, this is really what you want me to do. And then you're going out inviting people, trying to share the gospel and share the word. And they're like, hey, where do you go to church? Yeah, I'm in a house. You know, we're meeting in a home. And they're like, what kind of wacko group are you? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it takes trust and where your trust is. But it's a deliberate choice. Number two, we see here, you must trust the Lord exclusively. Not only does it say, trust in the Lord with all thy heart, but it says, and lean not unto thy own understanding. Lean means to bend or incline so as to rest on something. Now we know in our flesh, we naturally lean on ourselves, don't we? But it says, lean not. 
This verse attacks our own humanistic, rational understanding. In the New Testament, it's dying to self. It's dying to our self-dependence. Philippians 3.3 says to have no confidence in the flesh. I've fallen in love with Jeremiah chapter 17, especially verse 5, and it says, or 5 through 8, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. I don't know about you, but cursed is a, it's a strong word. I mean, Cain was cursed. Satan is cursed. He says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. And make it flesh his arm. That's your strength that you're trusting in. Your flesh. And there's a quote that says, self-dependence is folly. It's rebellion. It will lead to your ruin. It's self-idolatry. But the verses go on. It says, and it says in verse 6, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. And the verses go on, it says, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreadeth our roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. And this is my favorite part. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. I mean, that's the, the heart of a church planter, right? You want to see fruit. But that should be the heart of everyone here as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, that you never want to see you're not bearing fruit. You don't want that to cease. So how does that happen? It's you deliberately pushing aside you and saying, I trust God and God alone. We are unable to direct our paths. We will do what's right in our own eyes. And every individual that has reverted to that has perished. We must trust him. Isaiah 55 says, and we know this, Eight through nine, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We gotta trust Him. And, and I'm leading you somewhere. I know this seems simple, and you're like, Could I've heard this, but hold on, okay? Uh, I'll put a bow on it, maybe. We'll see. But number three, you must trust the Lord in everything. Proverbs 3, it says, In all thy ways acknowledge him. The word acknowledge means to recognition or to own or notice with particular regard. You acknowledge him so you can trust him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it's a comment. You know this verse. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And we do that. We, 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 we acknowledge him through prayer. And you've probably have heard this. A day without prayer is telling God, I got this. I got this. Many times the reason we won't ask God about something is because what if he gave you an answer you didn't like and then you would have to place your trust in him? I had a, a young man who was pursuing the ladies and I asked him if he had asked God if he should do that. He bounced, of course, to a different subject. I asked again. I brought him back around. I asked him again, and 
he gave me, he didn't give me a clear answer. And so one more time I asked him and he said, he finally was honest. He said, no, I haven't because I, I don't want to know what he has to say. This is a man that I led to the Lord and was discipling. He, he knew if he went to God and God said something different than his plan, he was going to have to trust God. <laughs> May you've been this way. There, there's another lady who didn't want to ask God about dating. And this is why she said it. This is why she didn't. She said, what if God gave me someone ugly? See, she didn't trust in everything, right? You know, she wasn't trusting. But listen, some here tonight won't ask God if they should be involved in a church plant. Because if he said yes, you would have to demonstrate you trust him and not just say it. Some here tonight won't ask God if they should be a missionary. Because if he said yes, that means you would have to demonstrate you trust him, not just say it. Some here tonight won't ask God if they should serve in kids' ministry because you would really have to demonstrate you trust God and not just say it. If we can't acknowledge him openly and immediately in all your ways, it means in some way, some form, you're not trusting him. God has to be consulted in all matters. Now, I, I say all that because, man, that, I love these verses because it's been a guiding light in my life. You know, I, I grew up in Raytown South. Uh, that's where I went to high school. And, and you go into this school, and I, I remember at the time the church I was going to was right next door, and I remember praying with a group of uh, students. You know, I'm, I think I was a sophomore at this time. I'm looking at my high school, and I was like, God, this is the field you've given me. I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm here. Kind of like Briscoe said, I'm not really capable, but I have faith. And at that time, everybody that I knew was going to Raytown. I literally felt like I was the only one. But I said, God, if, if you're willing, here am I. So we started a Bible study Friday mornings at 6.45 a.m., Really? We started with about five to 10, and by my senior year, 60 to sometimes 80 students were coming on a Friday morning. Well, all we did was trust God. And what's crazy, my brother's here tonight. I didn't know if he'd come, but. I, so I, I, th I thought that was cool. You know, man, God, man, 60, 80. I graduate, I come back, and. My brother is nominated for Mr. Raytown South. It's you know, that, that whole thing, you know. He had really good-looking curly hair. He, he's the cool brother, okay? So his talent, he, he makes his video, and, and goodness, he, he photoshops his face on, like, some all-stars and NBA stars and basketball, you know, NBA basketball, the same thing, baseball and all these things. And... And he, he, in this video, he's, he's saying that, man, I'm really talented in baseball, I'm really talented in football, I'm really talented in all these things. And then it stops. And he begins that, hey, I'm really not talented in those, I'm just really talented in making videos. But then he preaches the gospel. 
the whole school of Raytown South, the year of 2006, heard the gospel. The whole school, because everybody had to go to those, remember those times you had to go to those things? I remember going, because they'd have parent night, and I remember, man, chills and in tears, crying. I was in tears earlier thinking about just how, as he trusted God, God directed his paths, and he literally, those four years, because the underclassmen heard it too, all four of those years heard the gospel, and when they stand before God, they'll have no excuse. When you trust God, it just, it's amazing what he'll do. So may you've, may you've prayed. May you pray, maybe you have prayed, God, I will trust you entirely. I will trust you exclusively. I'll trust you in everything. Please remember, there's a big difference in saying you trust God and demonstrating you trust God. I did that when I was 12 years old. I remember it. And when you trust him entirely, exclusively in everything, he will he will, he will direct thy paths. Again, I remember, I'm like, it's almost what Briscoe said earlier. I mean, God, I'm not capable. Even today, I'm like, I'm not capable. I think God literally made me a poster child somewhat. I, I, I don't have a four-year degree. You know, I, I, man, my training is lacking. Man, you guys, what you have in LFBI, I wish I had. You know, and, and it's amazing, but I did have faith. And I was telling you about Raytown, man, and what, what happened there, Raytown South. I just want to share a testimony that how these, these principles work, if you just trust them. God opened the door for me to go to Longview. Um, I had a free, that free college, free education. I said, like, okay, whatever, I'll use it. So I went. My whole goal was the gospel, though, and, and everything that Briscoe said this morning, I lived it. We started, um, the only thing that's the problem with my model is I didn't have a local church. And so we started a Bible study, and man, we, it was through Campus Crusade for Christ. And so anyway, we started, and we started with about five. And here's all we did, and here's what our, our rules were. We used the King James Bible, we were evangelistic, and we'll something a little bit for the Christian. That was what our Bible studies are for. Started with five. In one semester, we saw 80 students coming to the Bible study. We didn't know what we were doing. We just said we had faith. We just trusted. And a buddy of mine, some of you guys know him, Nick Basham and I, led those Bible studies. And I wish we had a local church to pump those kids that were, or those students that were getting saved. Man, and then God says, hey, I want you to pull up from Longview. I want you to go to Maple Woods. And literally, I do that. That's where I meet my wife. And we're doing Bible studies there. And then I have a chance to finish my four-year degree. It's going to be paid for. And God says, no, I want you to go to Cal, Florida. We're, we get married. And two months later, we go just for church. We weren't called. We, you know, we, it wasn't nothing. It was like, just go. So with $3,000 in our pocket, a old cop car is what I drove, a Crown Vic, and put a U-Haul hitch on it, and here we go at 20-something years old, 21 years old, just trusting. And man, I tell you what he did, and what, what he taught me, and what those times, and man, we had a youth group, and man, God grew that up, and Melissa Wharton was part of that, and 
Oh, what a sweet time. And then the church, some of you guys know the story, just chose, hey, we're going to leave a faith-based view of the Word of God. We had 100-something students in our youth group. We had Bible studies in three high schools. We had two in middle, in middle schools. Uh, disciples, we had, man, we had kids saying, I want to go to Japan. We had another kid saying, that you want to be a youth pastor. It's so sweet. And Man, there's people we love and still love dearly. But I trust the book. I, I trusted those three principles. And I tell you, man, that was hard. That was dark. Um, Anna and I, we called it the funk. Because we walked away from something that we loved and gave our life to for four something years as ministry and investing and doing everything that you guys are doing. And every morning we just, we'd lay in bed. All right, do we get up? You know, we go turn a show on for the kid and just go, go kind of crawl back into bed. And literally, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 came back to mind. Do you trust me? Do you trust me entirely, exclusively, and everything? I remember the morning, I said, yeah, God. I got up. He had to tell me any more. I got up and I read my Bible. I prayed and just kept putting one step in front of the other, just trusting him. He will direct my paths. But let me just share, how, how does that look? Okay? So just three practical points. Okay? Three practical points. Number one, if you trust God... You will lean on his promises. If you trust God, you will lean on his promises. God's word is filled with the promises that will direct thy paths. Do you know his promises to trust them, though? Man, promises are to be received and claimed. Think about Joseph's life. You know, we really don't have much information on all the instruction that he got made from his father, but we do know that, man, he went through slavery hatred, he, false accusation, imprisonment, he never lost his integrity, he stayed close with his God, you know why I think he did it, because he had two dreams, he had two promises from God, so he, he trusted, think of Joshua and Caleb, two men of maybe 600-something thousand men as the nation of Israel's hearts being melted, they stand before, the, before them and say, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. They just had a promise of a promised land. Joseph had two. Joshua and Caleb, let's say they had one of the promised land. We have a book full of them. We fail. We stop. Why? Because we lose our trust. If you trust God, you will lean on his promises. And the D.L. Moody quote there. Take the promises of God. It's in your notes too. Let a man feed for a month on the promises of God and he will not talk about how poor he is. 
You hear people say, oh, my leanness, how lean I am. It's not their leanness, it's their laziness. If you would only read from Genesis to Revelation and see all the promises made by God to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the Jews and to the Gentiles and to all his people everywhere, if you would spend a month feeding on the precious promises of God, you wouldn't be going about complaining how poor you are. You would lift up your head and proclaim the riches of his grace because you couldn't help doing it. Man, the promises. Like, we know these. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Philippians 4, 19, but my God shall supply all your need. That the promises of rewards and inheritance. Psalms 1, 1 through 3, blessed is the man. And it goes, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And what a, what a promise. Jeremiah 17 says, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. What a promise. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. What a promise. How about the promise that's in this verse? He shall direct thy paths. What a promise. What he has promised in terms so concise and unmistakable, he performs. His deeds match his declarations. To God, a promise is sure of performance. Does your life demonstrate that you lean on the promises of God? Again, it's one thing to say it. Does your life demonstrate? Number two, if you trust God, you'll lean on his principles. We've heard that, man, just this morning, these principles, these principles, these principles. God's word is filled with principles to direct your path. Jeff Bartell said it last year, a call to missions is a call to preparation. Your global ministry starts at home. That's a biblical principle that will guide you. That's a biblical principle. For the sake of time, man, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 talks about, man, the church and what it's for. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So work through church leadership, not against it. That principle will guide you. That will guide you. Seven characteristics of a model church. I know I'm just, I'm just shooting at you, okay? Just take, hold on with me. There's 17, there are seven characteristics of a model church with the early church. They were a preaching church. They were a teaching church. They were a praying church. They were a soul winning church. They were a giving church. They were a serving church. And they were a sending church. We took those at DBT. We took those principles and that is what has kept us on the path. That's what we want to be at DBT, those seven things. And that's what will direct us in this culture. But again, does your life demonstrate that you lean on biblical principles? Number three, if you trust God, you'll lean on his processes. His processes. But do you know his processes to trust them? I don't think I have to say much about it, but just discipleship. And that's a biblical process. Jesus, he said, I will make you fishers of men. That's, that pro, that's a process that we're make. That's a, a process he was going to do in those boys. And it took three and a half years to do that. There's a process of you being called out of a body to go start a work. Does your life demonstrate that you lean on biblical processes? Brian Hedges said this about two years ago when when we were announcing that we were going to go plant a church, 
He said, Code, the fastest way to grow a church is to compromise. You compromise because you lose trust in God and his promises, principles, and processes. Again, this is simple, but here's why I'm going this way. It may seem elementary, but we are seeing men and women that we know and love dearly leave these truths. Men and women starting or planting churches without being sent out because they got bent out of shape or didn't go their way. We see men and women leaving the biblical process of discipleship. We see men and women trusting a piece of paper as their confidence or some schooling, not the truths of God's word. We see men and women turning to culture, methods, business models, programs, instead of trusting God. We see men and women leaving this book. Please hear me. God will never, never, never violate one of his promises, principles, or processes to fulfill his plan for you. He'll never violate it. So you better not. Better not. Again, there's a big difference in saying you trust God and demonstrating you trust God. Great men and women are just men and women that trust God. Now, remember the story of Charles Blondin, the tightrope walker? Turned to the crowd and got silence as he asked for volunteers. That's a great picture of American Christianity. Do you believe that God created heaven and earth? We believe. We may say, Amen. Do you believe that God parted the Red Sea? Yeah, we believe. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh who died on the cross for the sins of the world? Yeah, we believe. Do you believe that God called men and in 25, 35 years they turned the world upside down? Yeah, we believe. Do you believe God wants to do great things and use people today to reach the world? We believe. Okay, who will go? Who will volunteer? Who will get in the wheelbarrow? It's usually silence. Silence. See, not many volunteer for that kind of life where God is in full control. So who will get in the barrel? Who will get in? All right, Chuck, come here. Uh, hi, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. Hold on. Hold on. Let me explain Chuck. There's a lot of explanation, right? That, so we don't have a lot of time. Now, Damien over here said, hey, the other guys went long, so I got a little bit of time here, so don't stay with me. Chuck here about maybe six, seven years ago came into my life, and I came into his. He was doing drugs, um, inhalants, uh, living a life contrary to God. He'd come to church, but he slept through most of the services. <laughs> but you know what? As I would sit down with him at times, I just learned that he's never had a faithful man in his life. And so God really just convicted me. I'm just going to be a faithful friend, a faithful man in his life. So I'd go, he, he's a woodworker. 
amazing woodworker. I mean, like a master at it. And so I just show up at his shop unannounced and just watch him do his thing. And he would try to push me. You know, he tried to push my buttons. He tried to push me away. And I wouldn't take it. I just stayed there. Well, I don't know why, but uh, we had a mission trip at the church we were at at the time. And he comes and says, I want to go. And he signs up. So the pastor at that time comes to me and says, uh, is it okay if he goes? <laughs> and I was like, man, I got him. You know, I, I'll vouch for him. There's not much trouble you can get into. Uh, so he went. And on that trip, he came back to me and said, Code, how do I get here? How do I get to where I can serve in this capacity? So at that time, we made a five-year plan It was based solely on the promises, the principles, and the processes of the Word of God. And so that day, he put his trust in the Lord, and he got in the barrel. So go ahead. Please. (laughs) He said it, right? (laughs) Okay. See, when you're in this, and what control does he have, right? And he's totally trusting in me, which, again, is probably not the greatest thing. But so literally, he he just started discipleship. And and he got into D2 and LFBI and took some biblical counseling and some children's ministry. But about three, year three of the plan that we had, uh, the door closed to the place that Chuck thought he was supposed to go. He didn't get out of the barrel, though. He, he stayed, and he kept trusting. He kept trusting the promises and the processes and, and the principles of the Word of God, and just kept moving as God moved him, kept directing his path. So year four of this plan, we, we didn't know what, I mean, I'm in a barrel, too, okay, at this time, right? <laughs> if I could fit, I'd be in with Chuck, right? <laughs> so we're both kind of trusting God on this thing, and, and my sister-in-law comes to me and says, hey, you need you need to go to Costa Rica. My what? So, so anyway, yeah, there's this, this family that's just awesome. And I'm like, I need to move him a little bit. So I was like, okay. Well, it wasn't a normal trip, right, Carlos? Like, I didn't know him at, barely at all. And usually on a mission trip, right, you want to go and send me one or two guys and check it out and see if their doctrinal statement's okay. And, you know, are they doing something weird? And, uh, they're sacrificing goats. You know, what are they doing? <laughs> but God didn't give us that chance, and we just trusted God. And, and so, uh, man, I'm glad you're light. Uh, so, so we're just kind of moving, you know? And, and so we go on this trip, and Carlos says he knew immediately, but Chuck came to me and says, man, this is 10 times better than I ever thought. He said, I think I'd be disobedient if I don't go. I mean, we're like four years and a half in our plan. We didn't see this door. But we were just letting God direct us and guide us. And in July here, at 50 and a half years old, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to Costa Rica in July. And literally, it's just Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 becoming a reality. 
He just trusted the promises, the principles, and the processes that are found in the Word of God. But I want to say something very important. Costa Rica wasn't his, that's not his choice to get in the barrel. His choice in the barrel was back here when he put his trust in God and said, okay, God, I'm in. And it took five years to get to a place where he can go. Man, what a thing. I, I hate it that he's going in one way because, man, he's been a pillar in our church plant. He's been, he teaches our kids like three times a week. Not three times a week, three times a month, sorry. <laughs> you know, it, it took me, God taking me to Columbia and Paul Clark preaching a message and Paul only heard a little bit. You know, God started speaking. He said, you know, churches send their best. And so I asked God in the middle of the service, like, God, is check our best. And I started to go to the list of things what he has been for me, an encourager. He makes me laugh. He's faithful. He holds me accountable. And just went through some things that maybe our church doesn't even know how important he is to me. And I sat there and I was like, yeah, that's what Carlos and Hazel need. He is our best. He is our best. Go ahead. You have a seat for a second. So the question before you tonight, who's next? We know Kale is in. We know Lee is in. We know some of the, man, we know the leadership here is in. But who's next? Because a decision made this week that you said, okay, God, I trust you. Entirely, exclusively, and in everything. I'm in. And I'll start with discipleship. I'll start with D2. I'll continue in LFBI. Or maybe someone's, the call is to go to the mission. Go to the field. See, trusting his promises, his principles, and his processes will reveal his plan. Are you in? But just remember, just saying it doesn't mean anything. You have to demonstrate it. If you say it, you will be proven. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, David, Gideon, every pastor, church planner, missionary in this room had to prove it. And so will you. I mean, just think of Midtown, you guys, and what a blessing you guys are, but Sam and Cheryl had to trust God. They had to trust God on this, and let me just say, we are all benefiting from them saying and demonstrating they trust God. Amen. The leadership here, they, we're all benefiting from them trusting God entirely, exclusively in everything. They trust this book and the promises, principles, and process it holds, but who's next? And, and listen, we're all benefiting from men and women that said, I will get in the wheelbarrow, and they trusted God. God will be calling you this week to do something, to trust him in something. And I wish I knew what it was so I could help point, point to it, but the Holy Spirit will do it. But listen, if you don't put your trust in the Lord, if you don't demonstrate your trust, all the benefits we're receiving will end with us. Because if God directs it, no man can stop it. But if man directs it, no man can keep it going. So those that are in discipleship and LFBI and all that stuff, if you stop trusting God and you come into leadership and 
you're not trusting man, all we're seeing right here will die. Man, the leadership's got it. Man, they've got it, but they won't live forever. And, but there's also works out there, like Ocala and other places, that key cities, that because you trust the Lord and demonstrate it, they get the benefits that we're getting right now through you. So who's next? God is, Tozer wrote this, God is looking for people through whom he can do the, the impossible. What a pity we plan only things we can do by ourselves. So let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for this evening. Lord, uh, I pray that it wasn't lost because of the time, but you, your truth is truth, and it will endure to all generations. Lord, I just pray that in this room that there will be people that say, Lord, I don't want to just say it, I will demonstrate it. Amen. And whatever step is laying in front of them, whether that's just discipleship or D2 or LFBI or whatever the thing that they may think that they're not capable of or maybe they don't know how it's going to work, they just will say, God, you've been pressing on my heart. I'm in. I'll do it. And we'll trust you and trust the promises, the principles, and the processes. And we'll see more. More Chucks. More, more people that, yeah, maybe like me, that, and not capable, but just, just have faith. Lord, Gaius, Lord, I love you. In your name, amen.